Will you pray with me? Gracious God, cause our hearts and our minds, our souls and spirits to leap and to dance in your presence. The world and its noise has been shut out. We are here with you. Lift our spirits in this hour, O Lord. Set our thoughts on higher things. Give to us the assurance of your presence and of our eternal life in Christ Jesus. We pray in his holy name. Amen. A couple of years ago, more than a few years ago now, Princeton University gathered for their general commencement for their undergraduate program. And they called forth the graduation speaker who was receiving an honorary doctorate that day. His name was Fred Rogers, a Presbyterian minister. And the, the occasion was, uh, was made profound because the first set of children who were three years old when he came on the air were graduating that year. And so what else could he say but, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. 15,000 Princeton undergrads rose as one and sang the song with him. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Well, sometimes it's not a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I remember our young son, five or six years old, he was just having a really, really bad day, and he's okay with me telling this story. But his mother, in her wisdom, said, you need a healthy dose of Mr. Rogers. And she sat him down right in front of the TV and turned on Mr. Rogers because she'd had enough. And I came home from the parsonage, uh, to the parsonage from next door at the church just in time to hear it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And I hear my son saying, no, it's not. <laughs> it's a neighborly day to, in the beauty. Would you be mine? He said, no, I won't. <laughs> and he was sitting there with his arms folded and just having himself a bad day. But there was Mr. Rogers, steady as she goes, dependable and understanding, who could sit down and look a young person in the eye and know that the most important thing in that young person's life today is that they got a new pair of shoes at the store that day. And he would listen to them tell all the, the wonderful things about it. He could, he could spend three and a half minutes of total silence filling an aquarium with water and the, and the producers would say, Rogers, are you nuts? Say something. <laughs> Do something. This is boring. And later on, he would tell the producer, it's boring to you. But if you're a young child being potty trained, being able to put that much water in one place and have it stay there is really, really important. Why am I singing the praises of Mr. Rogers this morning? Because he was a man of the Spirit because he was a Christian. And they're all around us. The world doesn't notice them because when the Holy Spirit does its work, it is so quiet and subtle and gentle. Yes, there are moments when the gathered church can feel itself on fire. When every one of us has a tongue of fire, we wanna announce the word of God with such boldness and strength, but 
It's so instructive to us that at least on this Pentecost Sunday, the people who put our lectionary together decided that the gospel lesson should not be about fire and wind and the trembling of the earth, but should be about a man who loved his followers, a man who was sent by God to be among us. And in the tenderness of washing their feet, in the confusion of seeing their betrayer run off to find the authorities, in the warmth of a Passover meal, and in the afterglow of a ministry and a life well lived, he said to them, I'm going to pray now. And, uh, and then he began to pray. He began to pray for his church, for his people. They didn't even know enough in those days to call it a church. They were just people who were followers of the way, following Jesus. As he went from place to place, healing and teaching and praying, we saw such a vivid portrayal of that last Wednesday night when Nick was here and he shared with us the story of blind Bartimaeus. But how many people were touched by the life of Jesus whose blindness was, was healed, whose legs were made strong, whose tongues were opened. And now Jesus says, I'm going to be leaving you. I'm going away, and your hearts are way down and sad, but I need to tell you it's to your advantage that I go because I'm going to send back the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's ministry will make one out of all of the many. And the Holy Spirit's ministry will fill you and convict your hearts and will remind you of all that I've taught. And most of all, the Spirit will tell you, will reveal that the world has been wrong all along about sin and about judgment and about righteousness. They're wrong about sin because they have not believed in me, said Jesus. We were laughing the other day, a few friends of mine and I, about the, the fact that people who don't know about Christ or don't know about the Lord or don't have a, a close relationship with God yet, that the their, their favorite phrase to say is that if I walked into the church, it will fall in on my head. You ever heard somebody say that? Any of you ever said that? We continue to struggle with a world that thinks that all of our sin has to be forgiven before we can even stand in the presence of God. And then when we do something wrong, the first thing that we want to do is pay somebody or make it up or make an amends or... or, or or find a way to buy off God some way so that we won't be snuffed out. And Jesus comes to say, all of that, all of that chalkboard stuff where we keep score of our iniquities and of our righteous deeds, all of it is over. The path to righteousness is through me. And I forgive you. If there's somebody in this room today struggling with sin, Will you hear me now speak on behalf of Jesus? You are forgiven in Christ. And that's the end of that story. Except for you and me, it's only the beginning of the story. Yes, our sins are forgiven. And the world is wrong because they keep wanting to drag us back into the sin over and over and over again. But our sins have been washed away. As my brother-in-law told somebody on the campus at UC Berkeley who asked us, praise the Lord, when were you saved? He said, I was saved 2,000 years ago. 
And so are all of you. We are saved from our sins. The world wants to drag us through it, but they're wrong about that. And they're also wrong about righteousness because the world wants to set it up so that the righteous are the ones who win all the races, who make all the money, who have all the power and all the influence. Those are the ones who are esteemed by the world as righteous. And here is Jesus hanging on a cross between two criminals, bleeding out his life, saying, Father, forgive them, and then looking up and saying, now it has been accomplished. In the Greek tense, the air is perfect. Now, in this moment, it is accomplished, and it continues to be accomplished in every moment that will unfold after this. It is finished. It's over. And the world was wrong because they thought he died a criminal's death, that just like the prophet Isaiah had prophesied, they esteemed him as smitten and forsaken by God, as one who shouldn't even be looked on. We should turn our faces away, except that, he says, I am going to be with the Father. And so they're wrong about righteousness. It is in my suffering, and it is in my suffering on behalf of the world that true righteousness is revealed. I know it's confusing. It's confusing to the world. How can this be righteousness? It's so much more convenient to say that the man who lives in the river is living there because he deserves it. Or the woman who's trying to find a place to keep her children overnight and and, and keep them warm in their car, that she's out there on the streets because she deserves it. It's so much more convenient to go back to the scorekeeping and saying, the righteous prosper, but those who are unrighteous suffer. Jesus is trying to show us all the value of every human being. And so he said, righteousness has nothing to do anymore with earthly accomplishment, but with what God is pouring into our hearts. And the world is also wrong about judgment. The world thinks that I was judged, says Jesus. But in reality, it's the ruler of this world who has been judged. They thought they killed me. And three days later, hello, I'm here. And he will go to the Father. And he will send back the Spirit. And the sending back of the Holy Spirit means that you and I can no longer keep God at arm's length. The Spirit has a way to get across. I don't care how high you build the wall or how wide, the Spirit will find you on the other side. The Holy Spirit may be the greatest illegal alien in the history of theology. And thank God for it. Because when the Spirit comes, we can no longer just afford to put God off until Sunday and then keep God at arm's length all week long. The Spirit is with us every single day. A few years ago, I had the privilege of hosting Lori Beth Jones at a seminar a bunch of pastors, a bunch of churches were there. Lori Beth Jones is the author of Jesus in Blue Jeans and Jesus CEO and a, and a marvelous book called The Path. She's an incredible person. And as she began to cast her vision for our culture, she said, we don't need more people just coming into the church, coming into the church and staying there. She said, there are these pillars in our culture, the medical community, the education community, the world of politics and and." Um, governance, the world of economics and finance, 
the worlds of philosophy and of art. These are, these are seven or eight of these incredible pillars that hold up our culture and make us who we are. And she says, what we need is for spirit-filled Christians to go into each of those places and shore up the spirit, uh, shore up the pillars in those places by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, that when we say amen at the end of the benediction and say, may the road rise to meet you, that that's only the beginning of the Christian story. And what happens between the Sundays is where that story becomes fulfilled and it becomes fulfilled through you and me and now even little Sarah. Because God is present with us through the power of the Spirit. Some of you are saying, I, I, I can't afford any more time to come down to the church. And I say, hallelujah. But you cannot take a vacation from belonging to God. So if, it, if the church isn't where you're called, then find the place of your calling and go and make that place holy by your presence. Just after the gospel lesson we read today, Jesus said something remarkable as he was praying to his Abba. He said, I am not asking you to take my friends out of the world. I want you to leave them in the world, knowing that if they hated me, they're gonna hate the, my friends too. The world has a hard time with our message. But Jesus didn't say, take us out of it. What he said was, leave them there. We may be the world's last best hope to know God. Now, we've gone through our cycles and seasons. When I was a young Christian, there was this phrase that was going around everywhere, Maranatha, it's a Greek phrase. It means, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Even so, come quickly. And I get it. I get it. Oh, man, it would be so much better. Given the world that we're living in and the headlines that we see every day, it would be so much better to just say, Lord, come and get us out of here. It's time. I can't take it anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. I can't read one more time about 10 young lives snuffed out by gunfire when nobody knows what to do about it. I can't do it, Lord. Just take me out of here. And Jesus says, no, no. I'm sending you my spirit. You can do it. You stay there. You stay there and you bear witness. You bear witness to the power of God over life and of death and of eternal life. You bear witness. Tell the world. Tell them. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about his love. Tell them about the forgiveness. Tell them, tell them that our righteousness comes from God and from no other place. A whole new generation. Hmm. I'm going to turn 60 years old this year. And I have that hard time believing that. But you know, if you had 35 of me, not only would the light be very bright from the <laughs> tops of our head, but only 35 of us would stretch all the way back to the time of Christ. If instead of reaching across the room, we reached back in history. Only 35 people. Half the number of people on your side of the church this morning. Just a few more than are sitting in the choir. That's all it would take to, get, to generationally to get us back to Christ.
Do you believe that? you believe that? And it's our generation's turn, my friends, to take up the torch and to preach and bear witness that it's forgiveness, that it's forgiveness and reconciliation and peace, peace, peace that passes understanding. And that's a peace that is not given as the world gives. In our cry for hope and help, God sends the Holy Spirit. Today, maybe we don't need so much fire and thunder and wind. Today, maybe we just need to hear the voice of Jesus as he leans across the table and brings Peter's ear close and says, I love you. I love you. And for you, my friend Peter, this is only the beginning. And for you, Fumco, you know. Amen.